Welcome, Christian, to the next episode in our Advent series. We continue on in our waiting this season, looking at what others have also waited for, what they have longed for and what they have anticipated. The words of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel began as ancient promises, and later they were collected into statements of the one who embodies those ancient promises by 8th or 9th century monks. These statements served to focus their thoughts in preparation for the Christmas season. And later still, verse was penned to music for the very same reasons for us. As we look at another statement and its verse, may this liturgy today help us to longingly and hopefully anticipate the arrival, the advent of our Jesus in fresh ways. O come, thou dayspring come and cheer, our spirits by thine advent here, disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Who in the world uses the word dayspring anymore? It's an outdated word that has been translated to other phrases such as morning light or, or something like the rising sun. At one point, it referred to the ushering in of a new era, like it suggests, as a day springs forth from the night, the dawn of a new day. John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, was a priest who was given a prophecy. And in it, he was speaking to his son. He tells the baby John of the morning light or the day spring from heaven that was about to break upon all of them. And in doing so, the light would be given to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death. What a beautiful hope to speak over a child who will belong to this experience. Now, Zechariah was an Old Testament guy, and I can't tell you exactly what his thoughts were as he worked his way through this prophecy. But I know some of what he might have been familiar with. Well, first of all, creation. Genesis tells us that the earth was formless and empty, with darkness covering the deep waters. The creation of light was the first recorded utterance by the creator of the universe. He spoke light, and it became present, and he saw that it was good. The light and darkness were separated, and each given their own place in time. Darkness preceded the light. In biblical Hebrew, light serves as a symbol of good and the beautiful, of all that is positive. So this looks like redemption, truth, justice, peace, and even life itself. Darkness for Old Testament people wasn't or isn't bad in and of itself. It's actually a part of the natural order of things. And yet, while in a very literal sense, darkness might signal a chance to rest, the darkness or absence of light has brought with it fear or uncertainty. Think about when the power goes out for an extended periods of time and, and the light shuts off. We, become, we can become ungrounded, unprotected, and feel as though we are far from any other safe feelings we might have associated with light. And over time, darkness had become a metaphor of hard times and a dwelling place for evil. Zechariah would also have been familiar with Moses and the formation of the nation of Israel. God saw the plight of the Israelites in Egypt. They had become slaves, and God had more for them as his people. So he sought to rescue and deliver them to a new land, fertile and prosperous. Well, Pharaoh had issue with losing his greatest and cheapest labor force, and so a battle of plagues ensued. Heavy, palpable darkness was the second to last of the ten plagues God had inflicted. There was light as usual for the Israelites, which was great, but the Egyptians couldn't see a thing. Nobody moved. And finally, after three days, Pharaoh was ready to let them go, but he was ready to let them go without any needed provisions for them to be able to worship the very God who was providing the rescue. So... Pharaoh's heart was once again hardened, and he refused their release. It took one more plague, the death of the firstborns, to finally convince him to let them go. The darkness of slavery had preceded the light of the Exodus, and they waited. Zechariah would have known about the prophets. They were the mouthpiece of God to the people and made up their holy writings along with the law. 
The prophet Isaiah, in the midst of rebellious kings and the rise of violent world powers, prophesied both judgment and hope to a nation on the verge of destruction. Isaiah said this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. There is hope. There will be something, someone who will lead them into all of the good, the redemption, the salvation, the truth, justice, peace, and even life itself. Something new was coming, but again, the darkness of exile preceded the light of rescue, and so again they waited. And then, in the quiet of a night, the darkness broke, and the sun was born. The morning light, the day spring from heaven, had broken upon them. Light had come to those sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Jesus said about himself that he is the light of the world, and that if a person follows him, they won't have to walk in darkness. They will have the light that leads to life. Well, in those days, light came from clay lamps filled with oil, and this oil was crushed and pressed from olives and a lit wick. Typically, they were crushed and pressed with a Gethsemane stone about three times. The first yield was the purest and most expensive. Now, this oil was used to light candlesticks in the temple. It was used for anointing and for meal offerings, essentially for worship. The second press was typically used for medicine. And the third and final press was the least expensive and so easily accessible to most. It was this, this oil that was used to light lamps in homes or even to make soap. So Jesus' statement about himself is quite significant. They say it was about a year after Jesus made this claim on this particular title. And then the light of that world hung and died a criminal's death on a cross. And for three hours, the light of the sun, that ball of fire in the sky was gone, and a darkness fell across the whole land. Well, in my head, I imagine it was the, darkness, the darkest time in history. In my head, this was the darkness and the shadows of all sin. It was the past, present, and future. Three days later, at the day spring, the stone had been rolled away to reveal an empty grave. Jesus had been crushed and pressed to lead us into the presence of God to provide healing from the effects of sin and separation from God, and to provide the way for each person, for the whole world, to know that there is an option of not having to live in the darkness alone. Death had been defeated, and the darkness had been peeled back to reveal the light of goodness, redemption, salvation, truth, justice, peace, and life. The wait had ended. Well, for the most part. As Christians, we still wait, because he will return finally to make all things right. He will restore us fully to himself in the place he has prepared for those who have followed him. We will see his face. There will be no night. There will be no need for lamps or for the sun, because the Lord God will shine on us. The darkness will be gone. So then, beloved of God, we will still live with and in measures of darkness and the effects of sin, but not without the light to illuminate and lead us well. With the light, we will never be overcome by the dark. So I offer today for you the following scripture and questions for you to read and think on throughout the week. Uh, first of all, Psalm 27, John 8, verse 12, and 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So that's Psalm 27, John 8, verse 12, and 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 
In what ways do you see the need for light in how you see the darkness around you? What can it look like this week for you to choose to live in the light? How is this waiting with intention? And here, friends, is an offered prayer. And might I offer a suggestion? In the interest of observing this as a liturgy, to pray the following as you wake, at each meal, and before you sleep. Here's the prayer. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. He is my light and my salvation. Well, beloved of God, I'm going to wrap this Advent episode up. Uh, Looking forward to our next one, which will be posted uh, for you to retrieve on Monday. Uh, So I hope and pray that in the meantime, this week, you will experience the day spring. Whether you've been waiting in darkness or what seems like darkness, or if you've just been a time of waiting through, through something tough, or if you just still find yourself waiting and longing and anticipating Christ this season, and of course, Easter. Um, I, I just hope and pray that you are able to experience that light, that day spring in fresh ways, and that you find life in ways and places that you never expected. So I pray these things for you, beloved of God. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>